Well, good morning and welcome, Wheaton Bible Church. Would you stand with us wherever you're at? We're going to lift the name of the Lord high together. We worship him. He is worthy of our praise. Let's declare this together. saw darkness run for cover but the miracle that i just can't get over my name is registered in heaven do you believe that i believe in signs and wonders and i have resurrection power still the miracle that i just can't get over my name is registered in heaven my place belongs to you forever yeah. this is my testimony from death to life because grace rewrote my story i'll testify for jesus christ the righteous i'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony Together, sons and daughters, bought with blood and washed in water, and sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father. Our God will finish what He started. Yes, our God will finish what He started. This is my testimony.
that never runs dry and drink of the water come and thirst no
Come on, that is our truth this morning, church. That is our hope. As Christ followers, that gives us a reason to sing this morning. That's right. Amen. Because the resurrected King Jesus, because of his death and new life, we die to ourselves and are brought into his marvelous life with him. Amen. So as we continue to sing and lift our voices together, let that be at the forefront of our hearts and our minds, that we're here for a reason, that there's a purpose, and Jesus is at the center of it. Hear these words from Ephesians, church. Let this be our prayer today. For us up here, around the room, our leaders, our pastors, everything, this is our prayer. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Do you hear that, church? and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. We are his body, church. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Father, hear our hearts, hear our songs. In this hope that we sing, it is you. Come on, church, let's lift this up. The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. Yes, the Savior now to wash our now at his feet we bow. now 
of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrected. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrected. By your Spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The be seated. Hi church family. My name is Renita Gilliland and I'm on the Kids Life staff here at Wheaton Bible Church. It's my joy to lead us in celebrating believers baptism today. In the Great Commission which Jesus gave to his followers he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In response to Jesus' instructions, we practice believers' baptism for those who have placed their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. According to the scriptures, baptism does not save us or contribute to our salvation in any way. It's an act of joyful obedience to the Lord that symbolizes our death to our old life and resurrection to a new life. This morning we're celebrating three baptisms in this worship gathering and my hope for you is that the testimony of our friends being baptized will remind you of the truth and hope of the gospel, that Jesus has the power to rescue and restore us. Our first friend being baptized today is Farah. Farah is a second grader. Come on up. And mom says after asking Jesus into her heart, Farah has been very passionate about her faith, living Christ-like by selflessly serving others. Farah is always wanting and looking for an opportunity to tell others that Jesus loves them. Today, Farah is very excited to tell the world she loves Jesus. Farah. Do you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Okay, because of that confession, we're able to baptize you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mom is up here helping baptize her kids. This is Eli, and since asking Jesus into his heart, Eli has been faithful in prayer, trusting God. Eli is diligent in being a disciple by seeking God daily. Eli's Christ-like love for people is shown by his patience and consideration for others. Today, Eli is excited to show everyone his love for Jesus in hopes that he will be a witness to others. Eli, do you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Yes. 
okay because of that confession we're able to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is Aiden. Aiden is a second grader. I've known him since he was about two. <laughs> Aiden is not a shy guy when it comes to sharing about Jesus. He loves to share Jesus with others through Bible stories and Bible verses and songs like Next to Me by Jordan Felice and 21 Years by Toby Mack and through Bible verses. Aiden would like to say his life verse for you today. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you forever. Joshua 1, 9. <laughs> He's got a few friends here today. <laughs> he was not shy about inviting people to come and see him get baptized. Aiden, do you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Okay, because of that confession, Mom and Dad and I, as fellow believers, are able to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Resurrection power, church. Resurrection power. Come on, let's stand and sing this out. The tomb where soldiers watched in vain was barred for three days. His body there would not remain. Because what?
it is, what a beautiful thing it is to worship our God, isn't it? What a beautiful thing it is for us to witness the power of the gospel. What a beautiful it is for us to see and taste that the Lord is good. I don't know about you, but I'm super, like, I, I feel extra. Thank you, brother. I feel extra energetic when I see things like the kind of things that we've seen this morning. When we sing the kind of things that we, that we have sang this morning. This is the thing. Everything that we do as a church is an act of worship, right? It's supposed to be an act of worship. As we celebrate, as we celebrate the baptisms, we do it because we want to worship the Lord. As we sing, we do it because we want to worship the Lord. And, and I want to invite you to continue with the attitude of worship as you continue to sustain the church financially. Did you know that your generosity is an act of worship. So as you're going to see on the screen, there's three different ways in which you could do it. You could either visit our website, withdombiblechurch.org slash give. You could use our texting system or you could leave a check uh, for the churches. Do it as an act of worship, not because you have to, but because it's a privilege to give to our Lord just a little bit of everything that he has given us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today is the beginning of a new week. Everything that already happened is fading away, and we are stepping into new days. This is also the beginning of a new season in which we get to see tones of gray turn into bright colors. And both of these things points us and reminds us of another beginning we are part of. The beginning of a new world that is started with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And just as we sang, the resurrected, the resurrected King is resurrecting me, he's resurrecting us, and he's also resurrecting everything else in creation. You're, renew, you're renewing all things, you are restoring all things that we're part of that. And yet... Every day and every week, we are reminded that we are still in the process of resurrection. Things are not yet the way you would want them to be. And that is the reason why today we weep. We weep over the continued violence we see. We weep over the lives lost in Atlanta this last week. We don't fully understand, we don't fully know what caused this atrocity, except that this is the rea reality of what it means to live in a broken world in the process of resurrection. We pray that the God of comfort and the God of peace bring comfort and peace to the families affected by all of this. May this be an opportunity for many people to come to you and find rest in you and find peace in you. We also pray for my, I also pray for my brothers and sisters in this congregation. Whether they're physically present or they're worshiping with us online, that you may be with them. 
that they may remember that because Jesus died and resurrected, not only you are with us, but that you are for us. Please help us believe that. Now speak to us, Lord. Transform us by the power of your word and the presence of your spirit. Allow us to see how precious, how beautiful, how powerful, how personal you are within the family of faith. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says, all right, you may be seated. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at church, and I wanted to welcome you again, whether you're here or whether you're worshiping with us online, welcome to WBC or Written Bible Church. Today, we are finishing our series that, a series that we started back in January, uh, that is taking us about three months, that is based on a section of a scripture known as the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, and during this uh, uh, section of the scripture, Jesus is spending five hours with the disciples right before he starts heading toward the cross or to the cross. And during these five hours, Jesus is uh, teaching or sharing with his disciples things that are really important to him, things about the church, things about what the church ought to be, things that the church ought to believe, things that the church ought to live in the midst of a broken world. What is interesting about this discourse is that it's divided into two sections. From chapters 13 to 16, it is Jesus teaching. And in John chapter 17, it is Jesus praying. Now, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but one thing that I learned about prayer is that if I really want to know what's in people's hearts when it comes to Christians, I have to pay attention to their prayers. Because we usually pray for the things that we really care about. And we pray for the things that we really love. And if that is true, and I believe it is, then when you pay attention to Jesus' prayer, Jesus is showing us what he really loves. And he loves his church. And he cares for his church. And he wants the best for his church. Interesting enough, the theme that is repeated the most in this prayer and in the entire discourse is about the significance and the importance and the necessity of the unity of the church that we live as one. Interesting enough, I had the privilege to start this series talking about the necessity and significance of us learning how to love one another. That's how this whole series is started. And it finishes with the same concept, that we live and practice our unity. So if you were with me and you were here when we started this series, do not worry. I have a different message. I'm just repeating the same thing in a different way. And for that, we're going to be looking at John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. 26, yeah. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. So I'm going to ask you to please stand as a sign of reverence uh, to God and his word. And if you are still awake, can you please tell me, I'm here. I'm here. All right. John chapter 20, uh, verses 20 to 26. The word, of, the word of the Lord says this. 
My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Allow me to pray. Lord, once again, we pray for the assistance and the presence of the Holy Spirit so we may understand and believe and live in light of what this text says. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus and the churches. You may take a seat today. What we see in this text is four things that describe the unity of what the, uh, that describe what the unity of the church is all about. We see that the unity of the church is unity in truth, unity in purpose, unity in progress, and unity in love. Truth, purpose, progress, and love. Let's go with the first point, uh, the unity of the church in terms of truth. Uh, let me start with this. Uh, the concept of unity and community is not unique to Christianity, of course, because everyone talks about unity and community. Interesting enough, during this season, there has been a ton of studies done, uh, both from the secular world and the religious world, um, about the, one of the most detrimental and harmful things of this pandemic. And what they say, all of them say, is that one of the most detrimental and harmful things about this pandemic is that it has isolated people and has kept people apart. And virtual communities have not been able to fill the gap of those things that only physical proximity can do. In other words, that even though we're still connected somehow online, there's something about us being together in physical proximity that cannot be replaced by anything else. Both the secular world is saying that, both, and the religious world is saying that. But even though the religious world, and I would say even Christianity agrees with that, there is a difference in the way we see unity and we see community. A huge difference. See, the way most people see unity and community is in terms of gender, in terms of social class, in terms of ethnicity, is based on stage in life, political views, affinities, and preferences. The community that the world offers is always connected to something like that. 
But the unity and the community that Christianity offers is completely different. Actually, I would say that from a human perspective, it's illogical. You know why? Because the unity and the community that Christianity offers is multi-gender, multi-social class, multi-ethnic, multi-stage in life, multi-affinities, multi-color, multi-preferences, multi-political views. The unity and the community that Christianity offers is supernatural. It could only be accomplished by God. The unity and the community of the church is not just a bunch of people hanging around together, but it's doing life together. It is living our faith and sharing our lives. The question that I want to answer today is, how could this be? Well, because first, we are united by the truth we believe. So I'm going to give you four convictions that I find in this text. See, these convictions not only create community, but sustain community. Conviction number one, we are one in object of faith. Verse 20 says, my prayer is not for them alone. My pray, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Notice that the, the unity of the church, the community of the church, is not based on feelings or affinities. You know how fragile we will be if that's, those are the things that bring us together. The moment I start feeling things for you, I have permission to walk away. The moment we start having different affinities, I have permission to walk away. But that is not the kind of community that Christianity describes. The unity that the Bible describes is when a bunch of people that come from different backgrounds that look different and taste different believe the same thing. Our unity is because we believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one that lived the life that no one has lived, the one that died the death that we were supposed to die, and the one that resurrected to bring us home, to forgive us, to accept us, to adopt us. That is our primary source of unity, people. Listen up. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is important, but it's secondary. Listen up, church. We are first Christians. We are first brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We are first united by our Father. And then everything else. My gender is secondary. My social class is secondary. My ethnicity is secondary. My stage in life is secondary. My political views are secondary. My affinities are secondary. And my preferences are secondary. We are one because we have been united by Jesus, the object of our faith. Conviction one. Conviction two. 
We are one in our perception of Jesus. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Now pay attention there to the word glory because the way Jesus is using it is, it is basically saying this, Christian, the community of faith are united because not only we have an amazing Savior, but we find them precious. That's what the word glory there means. It means that we find them so beautiful that he's worthy of everything that I have and everything that I am. That he's precious because no one is as good as he is. No one is as powerful as he is. No one is as reliable as he is. No one is understandable as he is. No one is as holy as he is. No one is as patient as he is. No one is as merciful and full of grace as he is. That's the reason why we find him precious. What unites us is that we find him beautiful like nothing else. This is one thing that I've learned about humanity. We are usually united by the things we worship. Isn't that true? Listen, if you worship money and you worship your job, you will be, you will be one with the people that worship money and worship their jobs. If you worship your looks, you will be one with people that worship their looks. If you worship love and romanticism, you will be one with the people that are in love with love and romanticism. We are united by the things we worship. And as Christians and as believers, as the redeemed people, we have one obsession. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that is precious. And that brings us together. We are one because of the object of our faith. We are one because we find Jesus precious. We are one because we have one eternal destination. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Pay attention here. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me, um, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus there is using the word glory in a different way. He's talking about the glory of what is yet to come. He's talking about, what is, what it, that, uh, about the things that he will bring in the second coming. He's talking about this future home, this future destination that looks nothing like the things we have right now. He's talking about this future home and future destination in which there's no pain, no struggle, no division, no racism, no, racism, no nothing. He's talking about these beautiful things that is yet to come. Now pay attention here. He says that we are united by how we see that. The word see in the original is not just when you observe something. It's when you observe something with sustained attention. I don't know if you guys ever played that game as little kids or even as an adult, which that will be an issue. But um, when, when you, are, uh, you look at someone and you can't blink, right? And that, it, whoever blinks first, you lose. Well, that's the idea. That, that's, a, that's the idea of the word see, is that you are paying attention to something so and so much that even your eyes are red 
right? And everything is burning, and you got tears coming down. You don't look away. And Jesus says, may believers be so hyper-focused with the things that are coming that they practice their unity here. How is that, you would say? See, this is what made the first century church in the book of Acts so amazing. They knew that this earth, the way it is, is not our final destination. We're passing by, people. We are exiles. This is not our final home, at least not the way it is. And when this is not your final home, you don't try to make heaven and earth. Actually, everything we are and everything we have is to share. And that's exactly what the church in the first century did. Go ahead and read Acts chapter 2. They had everything in common. They gave it away. There, were, there was no poor people among the community of faith. See, what unites us is the object of our faith. It's a perception of Jesus. And because we know that we have a final destination. Conviction number four. What unites us is that we are one uh, in experience of grace. Look uh, verse 26, it says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And you would say, man, Hannibal, where'd you get the word grace from that? Listen, the only reason why you know God and the only reason why God loves you is because of grace. The only reason why Jesus came and the Father sent him is because of grace. There's one thing that we all have in common, you know? You know what that is? That we are all broken people in need of the same grace. And as Christians, we are all broken people that have experienced the love of a gracious God. I said this the last time I preached here, and I will say it again. There is no reason why anybody should feel that we are morally superior to other people. Because we are all a bunch of broken, sinful, limited, imperfect, in the process of a spiritual rehabilitation people. All have received the same grace. You know when we struggle with our unity is when we start to see our sins, personal sins, as bigger, as smaller than anybody else's sins. When we have this tendency to minimize our sinfulness and we elevate the sinfulness of someone else. Isn't that true? Have you ever done that? Can you raise your hand? Three of you? I'm so glad that the rest of the church are holy already. <laughs> you know, Dietrich Van Hoffer, he wrote a book called Life Together. It's a classic in Christianity. I recommend you read it. 
And this is what he says about that topic. If my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, I am still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. Do you hear that? How can I possibly serve another person in sincere humility if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than my own? That's why we break unity. See, we are united in a supernatural way because we hold the same truth. We also are united in a supernatural way because we practice a unity of purpose. And this is going to be a really quick point, and I don't want you to miss it because I think that it's extremely important. One of the reasons why the Lord calls us to live in unity, practice unity, and defend unity is because this is one of the ways in which we validate or authenticate our faith before an unbelieving world. That's part of the purpose. Listen up, church. Before an unbelieving world, one of the best ways we demonstrate the power of the gospel, the beauty of Jesus Christ, the magnitude of the love of God displayed in Jesus Christ is by the way we love one another and practice unity. How do I know that? Well, that verse 21. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Can you see it? So the world may believe. Put it simple. The way we practice unity invites people who doesn't have a relationship, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, to actually wonder if our faith is trustworthy. I think that we have a tendency to minimize that. Let me make it even more clear. Let's say, this is an illustration. Let's say that you're struggling with coughing. <coughs> and then you go to the doctor because you trust your doctor. And the doctor gives you medicine. And he's going to take all of this pain away. And you drink the medicine. But now you have friends that are struggling with the same thing, but the medicine that you receive from this trustworthy doctor is not doing anything to you. And this is what we do in spiritual ways. We go to the unbelieving world and we say something like this. <coughs> I'm struggling. <coughs> You're struggling. <coughs> you should go to my doctor. <coughs> He's got the solution for you. <coughs> He's amazing. Tell me if that makes any sense. Who would trust that doctor? <laughs> and what Jesus says is that that important, it's our unity. It validates what we believe. And just in case you miss it, he repeats it again in verse 23. It says that they may know the world... Um, 
that they may be brought to complete unity. Talking about the church. Uh, so then the world will know that you sent me. Notice that Jesus doesn't use the word believe here anymore. But use the word to know. And the word to know there is not just the world will have information about Christianity. Listen up, church. The word know there is described as knowing through a personal experience. You know what that means? That the way we practice our unity would actually display something to an unbelieving world in such a way that they would feel something different. The unity of the church is so important that people may, even if they don't believe in Jesus, experience something different. You know, that's part of my testimony. When I came uh, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ was because my mother got converted and she went to work in a ministry in which every part of the family there lived on the streets and had a bunch of different addictions. And to me, it's like, why would my mom live there? And I believe that the Lord used that experience to change my life. Our unity has mission of purposes, you know? Talk about Jesus all you want. But our unity speaks louder. How much do you care about the unity of the church? How much do I practice? The unity of the church. The unity of the church is supernatural. The unity of the church is based on truth. The unity of the church has to do with purpose. And this is the part that I believe that many, 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 many believers really, 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 really need to understand that the unity of the church is in progress. This is the interesting thing about um, Christianity. Um, we are, as Christians objectively one already. It means that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, or if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are already united to the family of faith. Whether you like it or not, you don't get to choose your spiritual siblings. You don't get to say to God, you know what, I like that brother, sister, this one, eh, not so much. We don't get to do that. Objectively speaking, God chooses family for us. But subjectively, we're still growing in the process of becoming one. How do I know that? Once again, two more verses, verses 22 and 23. It talks about, it says that they may be one as we are one. Now pay attention there for a second because God would always give you the ideal. And the text says that as Christians, we should look at that ideal to be one as God the Father and God the Son, and we would add God the Spirit, function as one. But notice verse 23. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Another translation, the ESV puts it, so they may become one. 
In other words, Jesus is praying that we grow into something that we already have. Do you know why that's so important? Because as human beings and believers, we have all these crazy and realistic expectations about the community of faith. I don't know who sold you that lie, but the church is not a finished product. You are not a finished product. I am not a finished product. You know when we struggle with unity is because we are demanding from somebody else, pushing somebody else, expecting somebody else to be the way I want them to be. This is why I fight with my wife. I don't understand why is it that she cannot be the person I want her to be. My life would be so much easier if everything is, yes, honey, that would be amazing. <laughs> but that's foolish. Transfer that to the church, people. Do you think that the Lord is going to put a bunch of people together because we're finished products? We're still in the process of growing in our unity. Actually, what destroys unity is these false expectations. Let me quote uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer again. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. I don't know if you ever heard this before, but the New Testament uses the phrase one another more than 100 times in the Bible. Do you know why? Do you know why is it that the Lord Jesus repeats the same thing more than 100 times? Because we don't get it yet. Isn't that what you do with your kids? You don't repeat the same things because they got the concept. You repeat the same things because they don't get it yet. Do you know why the Bible calls us to love one another? Because we don't know how to love one another. Do you know why the Bible calls us to be devoted to one another? Because we still struggle with selfish, selfishness. Do you know why the Bible calls us to live in harmony with one another? Because we still fight for dumb things. Do you know why the Bible calls us to carry or bear the, the burdens of one another? Because sometimes we just don't care about each other. Do you know why the Bible calls us to be patient with one another? Because we are full of impatience. Why can't you change quicker, please? Every time you read one of those phrases, you have to remember that the reason why you're reading it over and over again is because you're not there yet. So here's a huge difference between the secular community and Christianity. In the secular community, I'm going to stick around with you until you cross my will. And then I'm out. In the secular community, I'm going to stick with you as long as you fulfill my desires, but then I'm out. In the secular community, I'm going to stick with you as long as you make me feel important and I'm useful. But if I'm not important and I don't feel useful, then I'm out. 
but not in Christianity. Because our union is objective, and we grow in subjectively. We need one another. We belong to one another. We stick around with one another until we get to see the glorified version of ourselves. That is true for marriage. That is true for friendship. And that is true for the church. We are one in Jesus. Question. Can we live like that? Is it possible to live like that? I think so. That's why the exhortation is there. If, first and foremost, we recognize that we are united in love. Listen, I'm not saying that we're united just by the fact that we love one another. That's there. It's important. It's a commandment. But what truly unites us is that we know that we have been loved by the same God. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Listen to verse 23. It talks about unity, and then it says, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have, as you have loved me. Let it sink there for a few seconds. Do you know what that means? I'll make it simple to you. Jesus is praying so that the church would understand that the reason why he was sent by the Father. He's praying that the church would understand that the reason why he came to live in our midst. He's praying that the church would understand that the reason why he went to the cross. He's praying that the church would understand that the reason why when he was nailed to the cross, he experienced separation from the Father for a fragment of time. Jesus is praying that the church understands that the reason why he was nailed to the cross, he says, why have you forsaken me? He's praying that the Jesus understands that the reason why he did all of that is so you are loved by God with the same magnitude and intensity that the Father loves his Son. Amen. That you are loved with the same magnitude and intensity by the Father to the way he loved his son. That's crazy to me. Why would God love me, a broken, screwed up human being, the same way he loves his perfect and holy son? See, this is the reason why we struggle in unity and community. We are all looking for someone that will love us and accept us unconditionally. We are all looking for someone that will be for us faithfully. We all want someone that will be committed to us completely. We all want someone to love us uh, permanently. You know what the problem is? We are looking for that in people that cannot give us that. I cannot give you that. You cannot give me that. 
here. You're trying to look in somebody else what God already gave you in Jesus Christ. This week, Rob, Pastor Rob was sharing with us, you know, that he's about to move and he's packing up things at home. And he was sharing with us how in one, um, he was packing um, boxes for his son. He was cleaning things in one of the rooms in his house that, be, his house that belonged to his son. And he's saying that the more he's packing, the more he feels how much he, he loves his son as a father. And if you know anything about Rob's story, you know that they have suffered a ton. So when Rob says that he loves his son, um, uh, man, I know what that means. How about if I tell you that I know that Rob will do everything for his son? Everything and anything. I know that he loves him that much. But how about if I tell you that even that amazing love is nothing compared to the way God loves you? You know the difference? Rob is a human being, and God is God. Let me describe for you how much he loves you. Because this is the way he loves his son. His love for you is eternal, never goes away. His love for you is permanent. It cannot be taken away from you. His love for you has no exit strategy. It is there to stay. His love for you is generous. It has no limits. His love for you is prodigal. It has no restrictions. His love for you is immeasurable. It is so much that you cannot even understand it. His love for you is uncontrollable. There's nothing you can do to make it change. His love for you is overpowering. Once you taste it, it takes over you. His love for you is unique. No one has ever loved you that much. His love for you is merciful. He does not give you what you deserve. His love for you is complete. He cannot love you any more than what he already loves you in Jesus. His love for you is active. It is never indifferent. His love for you is protective. You will never be abandoned. He loves his love for you is compassionate. He sees you in your affliction and he moves toward you. His love for you is sacrificial. It cost him his son. Who can love you like that, church? Only God can love you like that. See, we don't need that love from other people. We already have it. Now go and love others that way. That's unity. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, um, if there is one verse that I wish it could be stamped or engraved in my heart at all times is that verse that we are loved by the Father 
with the same intensity and magnitude to the way the Father loved the Son. How can broken people like us be loved like that from an amazing, holy, eternal, powerful God? Lord, I don't know where we are in our spiritual journey, Lord, but I pray that if as Christians we have forgotten about that love, please make it real to us again. And if there's people here that have been exploring Christianity but have never tasted that kind of love, please, Lord, make it evident to them so we can find freedom. The freedom of knowing that we are loved the same way God loved his son. And I pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, Amen. Church, let's stand together and respond to a God that loves us like no one. We build our lives on who you are. And let's sing this out, church. One voice. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you There is no 
have put your how many of you are resting in the love of God for you by show of hands can you can you please show me listen if you don't have that now if you don't have it yet make that true today to your heart God really 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 loves you and he really 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 wants you surrender your life to him and you will never again we suffer because of lack of love. Amen. How about if how about if we take this season as an opportunity for more and more people to hear about that love? See, before you go home, I want you to pick one of these cards. And you could also find something similar online. I would like you to invite the people in your surroundings to one of our services. Not so people know how amazing our church is, even though I think we have a pretty cool church. 
special people find Jesus amazing. How about if we receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us on the cross? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine in you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And the church says, have a blessed day. We love you. Thanks for coming. Church, you are sent.